0: All
1: right, Matt, welcome back to another episode of The Flowline, and not just Matt, but for everyone out there listening. Matt, how you doing today? It's good to be here, and I hope everyone who's listening feels the same way. Yeah, well, I know I'm excited. It's the week's off to a great start. The sun's shining after quite a bit of rain this last weekend. We're in October now, so it's big month, obviously, for baseball. Things are heating up, and where do we stand, Matt? What's the latest and greatest?
0: Well, okay, so the Astros won the division. They're going to play the White Sox on Thursday. Woo-wee! Um, You know, it's just one of those where all you can do now is talk yourself into how nervous you are based upon how they've played where it's like, okay, they need to heat up and like I need to see more and feel good about it. But until then, I'm going to, you know, probably watch the game with like NyQuil next to me because I get so anxious watching some of the games that I've actually just had to like put myself to sleep. Yeah, (laughs) I guess that's a sign of a true fan, but like there have been pretty important games I've like not made it through (laughs) because I was told I was not behaving appropriately and I couldn't handle myself. So Uh maybe I'll mature with age, but (laughs) 2017 wasn't that long ago.
1: Right. Well, if anyone likes baseball as much as Matt and they want to enjoy a good game, Matt enjoys going to the game with tickets. So if anyone out there wants to treat Matt for his birthday, maybe or something like that,
0: I mean, I take all kinds of free stuff, you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, tickets are a good place to start, but, you know, yeah. <laughs> Scottish people call me cheap just to give you an idea. Or frugal, right? That's the politically correct way of saying it. I mean, I'll take whatever label. <laughs> I know who I am.
1: Right. Yeah. You're not shy. Well, that's good, Matt. So for this week, actually, it was an idea that I had and, you know, it's pretty simple, but I think it's, it's something that we do so often and, and maybe oftentimes we take it for granted or at least, you know, from the outside looking in, it's simple, when someone says, you know, hey, let's, you know, either cut the mud weight or let's adjust the mud weight to, you know, X pounds per barrel or, or sorry, pounds per gallon. Or, you know, in the event we're you know taking flow and need to increase the mud weight. But today I thought it'd be good to talk about, you know, mud weight adjustments or, you know, fluid density adjustments, why we do it, and perhaps maybe one way is better than the other. Can you know using a centrifuge, you know, solve all your problems and allow you to adjust mud weight if you need to. And so I thought we could talk through it and hopefully answer some of the questions that I have and perhaps the listeners have as well. What do you think? Absolutely. Let's do it. Awesome. So, man, I guess to really get back to basics, when would you need to adjust the mud weight or the fluid density?
0: I mean, the first and, and probably most obvious that should come to mind is, is well control, right? So either you have an influx or maybe you're just taking a flow of those classic SWD wells, we're taking a water flow and you need to wait up. And so... You know, that, that's the first one that I, that I would jump on, but you know, we run into a lot of situations with well instability stability where we have cavings and we know it's a geomechanics issue. We need some mud weight to keep the hole open. And so the decision's made to weight up. And a lot of times that puts us up against the other side of that, where we induce losses trying to stop the hole from caving in. So now we're on losses and maybe we have the flexibility to actually lower the mud weight to maybe hopefully reduce that rate. But then, you know, amongst all that maintaining pressure control, however you you need to, I mean, even thinking about mud caps or let's say you're drilling a HPHT well and you you actually need like a little bit of a trip margin. So you actually need a heavier fluid to go in and out of the hole than you do relative to your ECD while you're drilling. So you're adjusting mud weight constantly in that situation.
1: Right. That makes sense. So I think what it comes down to as well, like most everything we do on the drilling fluid side and drilling side is it's always good to communicate. What are some things to keep in mind when we are
0: asked or we feel like we need to adjust the mud weight? So I think, I mean, first and foremost, as you've mentioned, communication matters because there's just a lot of people involved. And if you go start weighting up your system because you know the drilling consultant told you to go do it, that's one thing, but there could be some downhole tools that are affected. There could be any number of things you know, especially with remote monitoring these days, where somebody says, "Whoa, hey, why did why did our mud weight drop?" Or that can mean a lot of different things and mm. trigger a lot of outside parties' interest. And so, if that isn't you know properly notified, you're gonna have people panicking for the wrong reasons, and that could create some serious issues. And so, that's one thing that you need to focus on. And the, and the other part is we're gonna go through a lot of different methods. I mean, it seems pretty obvious, but there's probably one or several methods that would apply. Mm -hmm. You could do more than one thing at once. And so, you know, the best decision could be driven by costs, where you're at in the well, any number of things that it's impossible to comprehensively account for, but certainly worth keeping in mind. And then, you know, the other thing is, okay, let's say I'm going to strip out all the solids or dilute a whole bunch or something like that. That's fine. Just remember that you're also generating waste, increasing volumes perhaps, so... There's an economics factor there that, and we'll talk about a few more of those, but it's not just one thing. There's there's knock-on implications. So that needs to be in, in the back of your mind as well.
1: Exactly. So you can obviously go up in mud weight, or you can go down. Let's start with increasing the mud weight. Matt, what, what are some options to increase the mud weight?
0: So, I mean, the first one is the cheapest and dirtiest, and that's just weighting up with drill solids, right? Mm-hmm. So this could be as simple as bypassing the shakers, what have you. I mean, this is typically something you're going to see in your surface intervals, right? There's probably not expensive equipment downhole that could wash out or plug because there could be an impact there. As far as equipment erosion, this is one thing, you know, we did this on the Gulf Coast a lot in these really kind of cheap operations, but it was basically like vertical gas storage type wells and that sort of thing, but you still drill through a lot of sands. And so... Even if you're weighting up with solids, you still had to add a lot of fluid to make sure you weren't carrying a ton of sand that was going to abrade away all of your metal. And it affects your mud properties, right? Solids are a well-known contaminant. And so you may spend some money on chemicals and adjusting mud properties now, especially if you're picking up a bunch of shale and and other things that are becoming part of the mud system to give you that weight that maybe you didn't actually want. Mm. And then finally, with drilled solids... Depending on the mud, if you're going to reuse it, is there a cost to get it back into shape? You know, once again, if you're talking about cheap intermediate or surface sections, you're probably going to dump all that fluid. It's water-based mud. No, but there have been times where we've had to, you know, talk to customers about, look, if, if you send this back, it's going to need to be treated back into what we agreed upon yep. and there's going to be a cost to that. So it might not be as cheap as you think to wait up with drilled solids. Right. So, okay, one, drill solid is one. What about BayRite? So, I mean, BayRite's probably one of the most common ways to increase mud weight, right? hmm And, you know, BayRite comes out, and I think we choose a lot of our shaker screen sizes specifically to accommodate the larger particle size, at least initially. Uh, keep an eye on that. Like, you, you may want to screen down at least until the mud warms up, and, you know— I've definitely encountered the part where we were really aggressively running the centrifuge while we were trying to wait up and (laughs) that got a little frustrating. Right, not to
1: interrupt, but you Mm. mentioned waiting until the mud heats up. So Mm. why, and and we've probably mentioned in previous episodes, but just as a refresher, what does heat and, you know, waiting up and, you know, over the shakers, how is that sort of, what's the relationship there?
0: Well, viscosity is just going to make the mud thicker, right? Which means it's going to have less conductance across the screen. And you're, you're adding solids to what is kind of Mud that's already kind of a little bit thick and, you know, if, if you're just starting out, if you're just initiating circulation after a trip or something like that, you know, yeah, you can start dusting up. I've just seen sometimes it's a little easier if you have coarser screens and go finer as, as the fluid's a little bit thinner because otherwise, even though you might have the right screen size, just because the fluid's thicker, you don't retain as much of that bay right. Yeah. Yeah. So,
1: and, and really just to put it, you know, in simple terms is, you know, the longer you circulate, likely the hotter it gets, the hotter the fluid gets, the viscosity will come down. Therefore, yeah. it'll run over your shakers a lot easier. And then, one other question, which is, it's, you know, obviously not to, you know, put these numbers in stone, but for screen size and barite micron size, off the top of my head, I don't remember exactly barite. The microns range, is it around 16
0: or what? So, you know, there's, w- with BayRite, there's not a specific particle size distribution, but there is a requirement that I think it's like 3%. No more than 3% can be above 74 microns, right? Mm-hmm. So when you hear that 74 micron conversation quite a bit, just because that's as big as BayRite's more or less supposed to get. right? And so you can look at the D100 on an API screen table and, and look and, you know, I think it was around 170 or something is, you know, probably going to retain most of it, but you know, and and that sort of generally dictates what screen sizes we select, right? Mm-hmm. You know, obviously there's such things as like fine grind bay right and stuff that'll be a little different and a little more forgiving perhaps, but you know, that's kind of the limit of conventional API bay right. There's actually coarser bay right you can get that will like separate out of the shakers for sweeps and stuff. As we've discussed in the past, you don't really need sweeps for hole cleaning with the kind of pumps we have today. And sure, anyways, conventional API bay right or at least the size, which you know is gonna even if it's not API bay it will probably be somewhere in that neighborhood.
1: Okay, you so
0: around seventy-five or less. Yeah, and I mean the D fifty is probably gonna be 24, 25 microns. Okay, so I think that's what I was thinking. I was a D fifty, which obviously sixteen is finer than that. Well, but. I, I mean, look, you're gonna we know it's gonna degrade mechanically pretty quick and reach an equilibrium point. So a, a mud system is probably going to have a D50 closer to, you know, I don't know, between 10 and 16 microns probably. Mm. And okay. then, That's you know, what I was... it'll keep heading south. I mean, sometimes you'll see a, an eight or a six, but that mud might need a little bit of help later. Right. Uh, and, and
1: yeah. And, and I guess really the reason why I was asking that is just the screen size, because that you bring yeah. up a good point because a lot of times, and I know from being on a rig, if you're going to wait up, you know, you've got, rig hands, you've got either floor hands or derrick hands helping you out, waiting up. And so a lot of times it's challenging to then get someone to change the screens. But, you know, in theory it actually makes a lot of sense to screen down, to open up the screen size, make it, you know, make make the holes bigger so that as you're waiting up, you're less likely to screen out some of that bay right you're adding.
0: Yeah, and I mean, that's a little bit of an art because some people will immediately scream and say, what about all the low gravity solids I'm putting into the mud? And You know, understand there's there's a proper balance to these things, but if I have a chance when I'm like drilling out or something, then yeah, I'll give it some room to dust up. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And again, it's,
0: you know, it's, it's one of those sort of mud engineer topics of conversation. I mean, you could go back
1: and forth probably, and everyone's done it a certain way or has their little rule of thumb or trick of the trade. But again, that's, you know, that's partially why we do this generate conversation and just kind of think about it. So, but anyway, Matt, so again, I kind of cut you off there. We're talking about barite. You know, let's say you were, you know, Bayrite recovery sometimes often gets put into this mix. How does that tie into, you know, when we're waiting up?
0: Well, it, it may be that it's time to switch over to Bayrite recovery, right? The economics may start to make sense if I'm increasing my mud weight and mm-hmm. trying to retain Bayrite, but process low gravity solids. And, you know, we, we know there's kind of a sweet spot and I've got enough right here that it makes sense to do this. Right. You know, the more frustrating things at like 11 pound, no one wants to run the centrifuge because oh, I'm going to throw out all the Bay right. right? So there's obviously that balance of understanding where where you are economically. And then, you know, if, if you're adding a lot of bay right, think about it not just in retaining it, but how is it going to affect the fluid? So you may go from a non-disperse to needing to disperse a mud. Right. You know, that's in, in water-based mud, of course. It could be pretty important. That's probably a significant weight up, but your mud will look like toothpaste if you don't.
1: Is there a general rule of thumb that you've ever gone with sort of that threshold from going from a non dispersed to a dispersed when needing to wait up? Or does it really depend on a lot of factors?
0: No, I mean, I wish I had a good number off the top of my head, but you'll know it's one of those it just becomes so obvious that you can't maintain this anymore. Right. You know, I I wish I wish I had a good a good number off the top of my head, but that just goes show how long ago I ran a dispersed system. So
1: yeah, no, but it's, you know, again, and I think you know, from, again, my experience and, and observation is, you know, once you, if you know you're going to have a weighted system, you're better off flipping it and going dispersed. And so, again, there's not a rule, th- there's not that like defined line, but again, it comes down to communication. So if you're in the field and you know you're going to wait up, it's a conversation that you have with the office, talk to the company representatives, say, hey, we're thinking about, you know, flipping this over to dispersed, here's why. And then generally there's a good plan in place and you can go ahead and make it happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, and and kind of related to that is we see this in the Northeast, you know, some of the, in a particular area, but they'll take, they'll have to wait up by like two pounds. They'll take a huge influx, mm. you know, kind of a very serious situation. You go rush to wait up. And I was actually talking to the CEO of an oil and gas company up there. And he was like, well, you guys should like pitch yourselves as experts in how to do this. And I was like, I kind of think it should, we should all know this. Right. But they had a situation where they almost lost a well because they had to weigh it up from like 16 to 18 pounds or, you know, something substantial. Mm. And they didn't add any wetting agent or oil. And you call it SAG, which I guess it, like, I don't like using that term because I feel like SAG is a dynamic situation. Yeah. But this was a bunch of water, wet stuff stuck together and packed off the bottom of the hole. But it did sag out of, out of the mud and, it, you know, it seems very counterintuitive, but you're adding a bunch of solids and you need to add oil to weight up and you probably need to increase your oil water ratio too, right? Like mm-hmm. if you're at 16 pounds and you go to 18 where you're kind of up at the upper thresholds, now you're talking about a 90-10. But keep in mind that when you talk about an oil water ratio, volumetrically relative to the solids, that's different, right? That's just the liquid oil water ratio. Right. So you got a lot more solids in there. And then what liquid you have needs to be mostly oil. Yeah. But that's just another adjustment along with adding wetting agent that especially in a hurry, you still got to slow down and think your way through that.
1: Yep. No, that's, I remember again, being offshore and we had to, it was the first time I'd ever mixed a slug though. I think it was like 18 and 5 or something like that. And And normally, you know, if you're making a 12 or 14 pound slug, like you don't need to be exact in your treatments or your measurements of how much wet and everything else. But making this 18 pound slug, it was to the gallon, like to the T of how much wet, how much diesel, depending on how much you're weighting up. Because, yeah, if you're to look at the pounds per barrel on a slug that heavy a system or just any amount of volume with that much buried in there, you know, it could be hundreds of pounds per barrel. Yeah. And if you think of a barrel, it's not that big. And if you've got hundreds of pounds worth of barite in there, plus drill solids, plus clay, plus, you know, Gilson, I, remember, I was assuming oil-based mud, there's not much free volume. Like it no. is a lot of solid. Like if you were to, <laughs> you know, put it, draw a picture and, you know, you, you almost like a schematic and you put like the level of how much solids is in that, like there would be a tiny space at the top for liquid. Yeah. And so that actually be, has to be pumped and it has to be, you know, have the right properties for it not to fall out and for it to be able to, have to like free flow. Yeah. And so when it was in, that, you know, in the slugging pit and the agitators were on, it literally looked like pudding. It was so thick. And so we had to add a little bit more wet and a little more diesel. And yeah, it took some fine tuning. And once we had the recipe down, then it was, you know, it was just like, you know, cookie cutter after that. But it made me kind of think, like just kind of gives you some perspective on how much solids are actually in really heavy weighted systems.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those... You certainly can't take it for granted. Like you said, there's very little margin. And, you know, once you get up high enough, we've talked about it in the past, you may have to consider, you know, higher specific gravity materials. Right. You know, yeah. that's where 4-2 Bayrite really matters. And and maybe you can put in a little bit of hematite, but hematite has its own problems. Mm. You could look at manganese tetroxide, and some of these other things, but there's always trade-offs there, right?
1: Of course. Yeah. And then Matt, something that you added to this, which I think was a great idea is, Spike fluid. So would you go ahead and describe what spike fluids are?
0: So yeah, I mean it's basically heavy fluid. Mm. So this is most common in brine applications. And so where this sort of originated from in my head, and I know people have encountered it, but you know, maintaining brine, which we've talked about hygroscopy in the past, where you know, just moisture in the air gets absorbed into the brine and you've got to weight it up and it's clear brine. So the easiest way without handling dry salt or anything like that would be to have a what we call spike fluid. And you just pour some of that in and basically get your ratios right. And guess what? It's way safer. There's less handling. You're just pumping from one place to the next. And you can do this with conventional oil-based mud as well. You know, it's almost like, let's say you were drilling with mud caps and you isolated the mud cap and bled it back into the system to weight up. That would be spike fluid. There's a few situations where it makes sense because it's just easier or you've already got the fluid on hand. Right. Some of the original, well, you know, micronized bayrite slurries where you could only get them in a concentrate. You couldn't get them dry because the material is so fine. You can't, you only get it in big bags and there was a lot of dust. Hmm. And so it was actually shipped in a tote as a concentrate and it all had the same weight. And then you just cut it back at the rig to whatever you wanted. And when you needed to increase weight, you just added more of the heavy liquid. Right. And kind of, you know, the other thing, sometimes if it's a big weight up and you think about all the logistics and trucks and everything, you might displace the whole system to heavier mud. Right. And, you know, this is one of those where it really depends on all kinds of factors, right? Because it may be even that you send a heavy mud and then weight it up the rest of the way because then you can have full trucks, but you've got a truck bay ride out to location, enough bay right to get weighted up that much. You've got all the chemical considerations. Maybe most of this should be done at a mud plant. It depends, but sometimes a system swap is in order. Right. It doesn't happen a ton, but it's it's certainly a way to increase density is to just put a heavier fluid in there.
1: No, that that makes a lot of sense. And it, it's often, and a lot of times you'll have two different systems on location because what oftentimes, you know, folks will do is they'll drill, you know, under balance. And then when to make a trip, they'll just displace a hole to another system instead of weighting it up, cutting it back, weighting it up. So again, yeah, it's not uncommon. It's It's not very common, but there are certain applications where it makes sense just to have like, Almost like a spike fluid on location, or you know, five hundred barrels of kill mud, as if they call it, and go ahead and displace. And it's a lot easier logistically than having to wait up and mess with all the chemicals. But that's a great addition to that, Matt. So, what about reducing the mud weight, Matt? What are some good ways to go ahead and you know, instead of going up on the mud weight, going down?
0: Well, I mean, uh, you basically just got a couple options here, right? The first one would be add a lighter fluid. So we'll call that dilution, you know. But the trick there, of course, is you can add base fluid which whether that's diesel or water or brine, and it's going to be lighter, but you're going to increase your volumes and you're trying to convert this all into whole mud. And so whatever properties you had are going to get thinned out and it's probably going to take some work to, you know, chemical additions and that sort of thing to actually get to where you want to go. For minor mud weight adjustments, we do this all the time. It's not a big deal. When we talk about significant adjustments, you got to think about how much volume you're actually going to pick up. So it's, I, I do the math is what I would say, just because if you're going to gain, you know, a few hundred barrels on a restricted location, where are you going to put all this stuff? And is there going to be a cost to building it? That's, you know, would it just be easier to bring some in or, you know, try the, the next option, which would be to remove the solids. So this is where we go aggressive with solids control equipment. And this, I mean, sometimes I we've even done the, okay, why don't we just let a little mud run over the shakers just as our whatever, you know, get get rid of a few extra solids because I'm holding on to mostly the liquid phase. Yeah. Pretty straightforward. And then, of course, you can run the centrifuge, which I would, the first thing I want to point out is not all centrifuges are created equal and not all centrifuges are rigged up correctly and not all centrifuges are run correctly. So if you go to do this, when you fire up the centrifuge, go get the density of your effluent and make sure you're actually cutting weight. Cutting weight. <laughs> but then the other part of it is do the math again on volume processing, because you're trying to cut mud weight and the centrifuges can certainly help, but they don't process full circulating system that fast. Right. And for that matter, if you think about a barrel processed and you're getting away a lot, getting rid of a lot of solids, you're not actually putting that much light liquid back into the system either. Right? So, you need to kind of try and figure out where you're going to land with that if if you're trying to cut mud weight. And so here even maybe the, you know going back to displacing to a new system or, or a concentrate is maybe you hit it with premix. Maybe you hit it with premix being like a unweighted concentrate of chemicals that you would normally bleed into the active system but you basically use that to to cut back the weight. So kind of the anti-spike fluid. And you know, those are all options as well. And, and it may make sense once if you're trying to go a lot lighter, which doesn't happen very often once again, mm-hmm. but do you want to process mud and strip out a bunch of, you know, a bunch of bayrite that is now converted to waste? Or could you keep that mud system, save it for another day and actually bring in a lighter mud system that you don't have to do all that treatment and get rid of all that material that could be useful. And so, you know, and, you know if it's one well, it's going to be very different than if you're on a pad. You know, if you're drilling a few wells in a close location, you're going to be there for, a co- you know, maybe a couple of months even. It's not uncommon to have a frac tank farm and a manifold and you can pump things around. Yeah, And, you know, you're not storing it for just one well, but you're storing it for three wells. So you can put it in, take it out, put it in, take it out. And, and the economics make more and more sense. I mean, it's very scenario driven. Right. And you've got a lot of options you can weigh and combine. And so the, the important thing is just figuring out what, big picture is going to be the cost and cost being not only the cost of chemicals and materials and all that kind of stuff, but the rig time, the personnel demands, just seeing that big picture. And quite honestly, in most areas, they they have this down pretty well, right? Most mm-hmm. people, depending on the environment, have a pretty good idea of what makes the most sense for that rig in that area. But sometimes you'll get those random ones where you got to scratch your head and think about it. So
1: Yeah. Well, as you can see here, I mean, there's plenty of options, and all of them come with things that we need to consider. Matt, those are all the questions I had, and I think you tied it all together quite nicely. Anything else you want to make note of, or
0: no, I don't think so. I think we covered it all it 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 yeah. seemed like a very short topic when we started talking, but yeah, there's a bit more to it once you start expanding on some of these things.
1: yeah, that's exactly. And with that said, if anyone else out there has anything they'd like to add, please hit us up on LinkedIn or you can email us at the Flowline Podcast at aesfluids.com. We can really appreciate all the support. And if you would, check out the website. We've got all the episodes on the website, or you can listen, you know, you may be listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Play, We're across all the platforms, so please like it, share it. And if you could, maybe post a link on LinkedIn if there's an episode that really catches your attention that you'd like to share. And with that said, thanks, everybody, and we'll catch you next time. Take care.
0: Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flowline. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice.
1: Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.